Hello and welcome back to Over the Top Football, where I'm joined by John, who's been putting in a bit of a stint in the running game recently. I've been trying, I've been trying, trying my best not to get injured, which is very, very difficult whenever your body's made of Weedabix, but um, yeah, getting there. You're also doing the same. We've both got separate marathon prep underway at the minute. How's your stuff going? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Um, And actually, this week I've played football for the first time in ages, which felt good to get a little run around again as well. So nice to not just talk ball, but actually play some. Nice. Yeah, I have not played in about a year, so missing it a bit. But at the same time, I know that I'll just get injured the first kickback. So um, yeah, so I've been prioritised talking about it. So what are we actually talking about today? Well, it's actually just a bit of a catch up on all the football, all of the time. If you've seen that sketch, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, essentially, it's a bit about some of the things that are happening in the Premier League, some of the games that we've seen. Um, and actually, where I'd quite like to start is, obviously, you'll know us if you've been with us from the very start from our England World Cup uh, squads. Those podcasts did particularly well. Um, So I'd actually like to start with people making a bit of a late dash for the plane. We will obviously do a full who we would take to the Euros and we'll do full predictions and things for when that comes round. Not too long now in the summer, um, but I think there's a few players um, making a potential late dash. So I'd like to talk a bit about them, uh, starting with Kobe Mainu. Yeah, Mainu's an interesting one. One that we flagged earlier in the season as someone to watch uh, to break through this season. So that was another podcast that you can go back and listen to to see who else joined him on that list. But Mainu's been exceptional since he came in to the United midfield alongside Casemiro, sort of allowing Casemiro to do what he's good at at his age. And Mainu's just went about his business so elegantly. And it's sort of coming at a time where England have an absolute requirement for that type of player. Calvin Phillips hasn't been playing for City, has went to West Ham, has looked horrendous. So it's sort of the perfect time to be mentioning someone like Kobe Mainu. And um, I don't see why his name wouldn't be on the 26-man squad, I believe it is now, uh, to be going to the Euros in the summer. Yeah, and I mean, also on that list of vacancies opening up, did you see what Rafa van der Vaart said about Jordan Henderson this week? Yeah, yeah, it was fairly um Zero fairly quality was the quote. <laughs> All he does is pass it sideways or backwards. Um, I mean, Ajax are fifth in um, Vieira Vadize. They're not exactly lighting things up either. So, yeah, Mainu, I always get a little bit hesitant about pushing players a little bit too early, but he is one where it might actually just work for all parties. I know the latest talk has been that Southgate kind of wants to look at him. So, um, yeah, I think it can potentially work out for all, hopefully. Um, another interesting one would also kind of fulfil um, maybe not a defensive mid per se, but deeper lying playmaker, Ross Barkley, having a great season. Undoubtedly, he has having an awesome season for Luton. Like, it's been incredible. Even if they go down, I would say that we will see Ross Barkley in the Premier League regardless next season. Um, for somebody else, if... You know, we'll get to player of the season towards the end of the year. And you could argue that Ross Barkley would be in the top 20 players who have performed in the Premier League this season. I think he's been exceptional. Whether he 
make sense for an England player to go to this squad? You know, will he start? No. Um, will he make an impact off the bench? Don't know. Is it better to bring a more, you know, a younger player? The likes of, you know, I'm just going to throw him out because it's well known how much I love him, but Jacob Ramsey, someone like that, or Connor Gallagher, or those types, or, you know, playing Cole Palmer in the 10. Does that type of player make more sense than a Ross Barkley who's sort of been there and done it and maybe passed his sell by date? But even though he's been exceptional this season, I think he's not a bad option, but I just think there might be better for England at this minute in time. Fair enough. Um, Jared Branthwaite, been really yes. impressed every time I've watched him. Um, one facet he really has, um, which is almost despite his frame, obviously he gives you huge height in the back line, but he's so good at raking a pass out. Alvaro-esque. Yeah, he's been... I think he's class. I think he is a top, 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 top player that the likes of United or City or someone should be going for. Um, whenever Everton are struggling with the financial fair play regulations as they are, because they will likely change. I think he's class. I, we have a group chat, football group chat or a boys group chat, whatever you want to call it. And I put in about, you know, Menu and, and Brantwaite potentially going to the Euros a few weeks ago and I went down like a lead balloon. I, I think both of them, I would have both of them on the, on the plane. I think if you look at the centre half position, a few players that maybe haven't been performing or may not be fit, you know, I, I like Mark Gahey very, very, very much, but he definitely hasn't. I think Branthwaite has shone above the likes of a Gahey this season. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't love Tamori, clearly, so he'll likely be ahead of him in the pecking order as well. Um, he's He's been better than Levi Colwell this season as well. So I think, I mean, I would definitely have him in the squad, and I think he will be a long-standing England defender for the longer-term future as well. So you mentioned, obviously, he's potentially ideal for a move. How much would you pay for him if he was to go this summer? Based on, I mean, I think he has the potential to be, you know, top value player in regards to what people would be willing to spend. I think if Everton got 60 to 70 million for him this summer, um, 70 probably more so based on age, then I think that would be a good return for all parties because I think he will be a, a defender for a top team for a decade and um, I would certainly take a Milverkull Yeah I think if you're if you're Everton you probably don't twist it under 70 mil or you get some kind of option in there um, I think they would love to have one if it went a little Maguire-esque that he comes back at a certain price for instance um, so yeah I think around the 70-75 I've seen 100 mil touted and I just think not going to work, particularly now FFP's biting a bit more. Um, I, I can't see that happening for many. So yeah, maybe 70 million sounds about right. And then one more name to throw into the hat here is Dominic Solanke, who you're a big fan of. Yeah, I love Solanke. I, I again put it to you a few days ago. At this minute in time, do England have to bring Harry Kane, Ivan Tony, Dominic Solanke and Ollie Watkins? Because who do you leave out? On of those players, it's it's so 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 difficult to even if if you have to pick three of them, do you have to pick three of them? Can you bring four? Probably need to pick three. I love Slanky. I think he's a, a great player. Um, again, if it hadn't have been for financial fair play, we could have seen someone like Slanky popping up at Newcastle or or a team like that, sort of driving them closer towards that top four position. So 
I think he's top class. I think um, the difficulty for him is that Tony Watkins and Kane are also playing in the same position. But I would personally, from a season-long perspective, at this minute in time, potentially take Slanky ahead of Tony. Really interesting. Um, I, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree. I do. I think Tony's just been awesome since he's come back. I don't think yeah. he's not scored in a game yet. Um, and his like physical presence and yeah, like almost nasty nature, I think gives you something else that the others don't. Um, you mentioned that kind of like out of Kane, Watkins, Solanke and Tony, like all of them deserve to go and not necessarily unfair. Maybe if England were playing a 4-4-2, you'd find room for all of them. But I do kind of think that Solanke is probably the worst out of those options just because I don't think he gives you anything that Ollie Watkins doesn't. And Ollie Watkins is just doing it at a slightly higher level. Um, But yeah, Tony, he has the advantage as well of not having loads of football in his legs. Um, It's certainly something that happens to Harry Kane at big tournaments. He gets knackered and will need to be rotated and needs like, at least in one of the group games, he has to come off at 60 minutes. Um, and you ideally want to do that in one of the knockout games as well. And I think Ivan Tony is just one of those players who ultimately I'm looking for my forward to score one. And I think what England also massively need help with is if they go up, England don't have like a fantastic strategy. You've seen it against Italy in the Euros final being a classic example. Could long balls up to Tony give you some of that breathing space? Yes, I think it's not a bad idea at all. Yeah, it's a solid point about you know him potentially having fresher legs as well. Solanke's come off the back of a long season. Tony will be played for four or five months maximum, having had that six-month hiatus effectively. Plus, he's a top, top-class set-piece taker if needed for a penalty shootout. Very true. So, I, I mean, I, I do think all four of them deserve to go, but it's just who do you leave out? And I'm a big fan of Dominic Solanke. Um, whether he has an Irish grandparent or, or whatever, might be interesting needs to, to look into. He needs to start looking at his uh, lineage to try and see yeah. what's available for him. Yeah, put a fada over the O or the E somewhere and uh, get him in the green. But I, I, I'm a big fan of all four of those strikers. It's just who do you leave out? Definitely. Um, okay, so next we have Crystal Palace. Um, Roy Hodgson pulled an absolute all timer last week where he got rushed into hospital so he didn't get sacked and then was able to leave on his own terms like that is absolutely genius i am going to go into work tomorrow smack a co-worker on the bottom (laughs) and then just go into hospital until it all blows over so that i don't have to get fired um because that is that is top stuff from roy um what do you think about the situation as a whole though are you right to twist yeah, I think they should have twisted in the summer. It was never going to be a long-term solution. Um, it was a weird decision for me bringing him back after uh, the dismissal of Vieira anyway because they were clearly trying to make that move to a different style of football. And Hodgson did what he needed to do massively in regards to guiding them to survival, incorporating, you know, and getting them some, some good results along the way. But they had to take a step back in terms of the club proce- progress to do that. And um, I think the the appointment has, is a very, very positive one. I, I think they should have twisted in the summer. I think they're definitely right to twist now. And um, and I think Roy should probably, you know, sail into retirement. 
at this stage as well. Yeah, um, certainly if he became Sheffield Wednesday manager or something in that for next year, you'd be like, oh no, Roy, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, certainly a fantastic career. I mean, it's before our time, obviously, but some of the work that he did with Malmo, he's been international manager. He is a maybe not a great of the managerial game, but like he's certainly a hugely respected figure. Um, so yeah, kind of deserves to go off into the sunset. But I think I think you're right. I I think maybe you're being a little unfair in the Vieira thing because he did save that season. Like Crystal Palace looked done then and then they managed to finish in and around the 12th spot that Crystal Palace always seemed to somehow um but yeah re-going again for this year kind of it's the Moyes syndrome at West Ham like you know what you're roughly going to get do you want more of kind of like the turgidness when you potentially have some like world-class talents in your team and I think most people would rather twist on excitement then kind of grind down another year at Joel Ward at right back. Yeah, I mean, I'll never forgive him for what he did at the six-month period in Liverpool, so um, I don't really care. Goodbye. And uh, see you in the future type of thing. Uh, Palace, I think it's a good step forward in terms of you know looking at the exciting young talent that they're bringing in. They've got a few exciting wingers in. They've brought in a new right back, and Joel Ward might finally be released. As good of a servant as he has been to the club, by the way, he's actually been very, very decent. But there does need to be a step forward. And I think this year, probably looking at the teams that came up um, in the summer, you know, there was a, a weak enough core of teams that were going to be coming into the Premier League. The Palace really should have been safe before it even started. So they probably should have made that move early doors. But the fact that they have done it now and they have the likes of, you know, Eze, Elise, uh, Decore, Gehi, Anderson. You know, they've got a, such a solid core of players to go and push them through to the next level if they can get the right manager through. And I think they've got a very, very good manager in the door now. Definitely. Um, okay, next up. It's a really random list of topics here, but kind of the news flies flies around football these days. Um, Mbappe to Real Madrid. Do we even care at this point? Is it even going to happen? It's going to happen, but we don't care. I think, um, you know, he's a... Uh, world-class talent could have went down as one of the greats in football history in my opinion but from early doors chose money ahead of legacy and you know he could have been playing for Real Madrid four or five years ago had a handful of Champions Leagues in his trophy cabinet um if he wanted to make a move from there to somewhere like PSG then you do that at the latter part of your your career where you go and win a handful of Liga Uns because it's easy to do um I think he has you know, he's 25 now. He needs to go and win some of these big, big trophies over the next four or five years because he's he's potentially an injury away from losing his pace and losing where he sits in regards to world football. And um, I think it was a risky move to wait this late. But he'll finally go to Real Madrid and he'll likely pick up silverware. But yeah, I, beyond caring, he's, um, he's placed money ahead of football and I think that's a very dangerous route to go down. Yeah, I mean... I'm kind of in the bag of I'll care when it happens. Very much like uh, Usyk versus Fury for any boxing fans out there. Like once you've been threaded enough times and disappointed enough times, you, you like you almost um, you almost just don't have belief in the fact that it'll even happen anymore. So I think that's probably where the majority of the football world sit. I actually 
kind of don't mind what he's done at all, to be honest. Um, I get what you mean about potentially legend status not quite being as high as it could be. But you've got to remember, a couple of years ago when Real Madrid did win that Champions League, that was not elite three on the bounce for Real Madrid. That was like the beginning of a decline. Like Real Madrid have now rebuilt themselves to back being like in amongst football's elite. So he's joining one of the best teams. Obviously, he's joining it when Barca are on a downward streak as well. So should be a few easy league titles at least for him. Um, so yeah, he's joining Madrid on the up. He's going in as their highest paid player as well. Um, he's actually taking a salary cut, which shows that he is kind of more focused on maybe some of the football and the achievement. And just because of how good France is, he's already a one-time World Cup winner and one-time finalist. If he adds two or three Champions Leagues, maybe a Ballon d'Or or two, good. And in terms of legacy, I do get that some league guns kind of feel a bit empty, but he is going down as PSG's record ever goal scorer when you've got names like Zlatan, Cavani, like you are then putting yourself in the history books, even if it's not necessarily the most glorious of achievements. Yeah, I mean, it's not. But like, if you could have, like you said, they sort of won a Champions League on the way down. He could have been part of that. He could have had a Champions League to his name. He is going to join a Real Madrid team that is so full of potential. If you look at, you know, Camavinga, Chiumeni, Vinicius, you know, he'll play with Vinicius Rodrigo next season he could play on the right with Haaland through the middle and Vinicius on the left which would be the one of the best front threes in football history potentially so he's making the right decision to go to Real Madrid I think the fact that yes he's taking a pay cut but you know the signing on fee is going to be about 100 million so realistically he'll still yeah, be 85 money. apparently yeah so it doesn't it's like the Haaland signing for 50 million that's never really the case but you know the fact that there's really only one team in world football that could sign him now, it sort of shows that you know if he wanted to go and compete, if he wanted to go and play somewhere else, then he, he limited himself based on the money demands. Um, so the only option really now is to stay at PSG or to go to Real Madrid. And if he finally gets his move to Real Madrid, then I think he would be very, very lucky to finally get there in the end um, after how he's acted, in my opinion. Mm. Do you think it works? Um, Rodrigo, Vinicius, Mbappe, they're all not necessarily dissimilar. And I do feel like Mbappe has played some of his best football with a Giroud type. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, you could see Hosselu coming into the team as well, which is mental. Oh, yes. Um, why, but... why stop at the stars? Exactly. But yeah, I mean, even, even that, you know, Beal, Benzema, Ronaldo sort of three... Benzema wasn't, you know, the type of striker that Kylian Mbappe is in regards to breaking in behind, um, utilizing his pace. He, he was very, very quick in terms of the runs that he made. He was very smart, sorry, in terms of the runs that he made, his positioning, hold up play, bringing those types of wingers into the game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Vinicius dynamic if Mbappe is then played through the middle, because Mbappe will go there to be the number one man. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, do you think it will have an impact on Jude Bellingham? He's obviously been playing as a 10, but realistically kind of a bit of a striker. Um, do you think maybe they're crowding themselves out at the top of the pitch a little bit? Just depends how they deal with it, really. We saw it with United, with Ronaldo a few years ago, where it was sort of played to his way, and a lot of players missed out in regards to, you know, you didn't see the best out of Rashford. 
you definitely didn't see the best out of Bruno Fernandes because you had to play to a certain system to get the best out of that individual player. So I would say undoubtedly, you know, you've, at this minute in time, you've got a striker in Hosselu, for example, who plays with this back towards goal, um, brings those other players in. So Bellingham has been one of the key players to benefit from that in regards to his output and the goals and assists that he's got through. And Vinicius has been the same. So that dynamic will change with Mbappe coming through the door. It's just, will it have a significant impact on the numbers that the likes of Bellingham and Vinicius are putting up? Or will Mbappe's output more than make up for the lost numbers from those types of players? We'll wait and see. But it's not always been a success with other clubs. Will it be a success for Mbappe at, at Real Madrid? You would think so. But like you said, there's multiple other dynamics that we need to take into account. Definitely. Again, going on to uh, managerial rumours, obviously Thomas Tuchel has now agreed to leave at the end of the season at Bayern. I'm surprised we don't see that a little bit more, actually. I um, I think that's completely the right move. Not quite working for him there. The fans, if you scroll, scroll social media, even before their recent bad run, they haven't been happy because he's fallen out with a number of big names like Kimmich and Muller and uh, Goretzka at various different points in the season. Seems to have lost the dressing room a bit. However, I, there's no one I think that they could get in till the end of the season who could necessarily do a better job. However, the prayers have been answered and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is in the race with Zinedine Zidane and Xabi Alonso for that job. What are we thinking um, in terms of those names? I think Ollie's the obvious choice. Top class manager. Please, please appoint them. Don't go near Xabi Alonso would be my um would be my message. And I think he would be the right man for the job. I just really don't want them to go for Alonso. <laughs> like that should yep. have been a clear route for us. We should have probably got that done already. Um, but Bayern Munich, clearly Alonso is the top of that list because they made these moves for Tuchel, getting rid of the managers that were previously there in order to get him through the door and make mm-hmm. that the right appointment because he was their man and all of a sudden now he isn't their man. So who is their man? It's definitely Alonso. It's just where does Alonso's priorities or preference lie? Apparently Liverpool were playing the long game, trying to respect Leverkusen and that title charge. Mm. But we're now going to have to backtrack massively and uh, try to move as quickly as possible, which is the wrong way to go about it. And um, But Bayern Munich are playing their cards very aggressively and fair play to them. Yeah, I mean, Alonso seems to have a good head on his shoulders. You can imagine he's, he would hopefully just sink in and let their season be their season. They're still unbeaten, which is incredible. Like, it's not necessarily Bayern have been that bad. It's just that they look bad in context to what so far is, like, un- unbelievable, unprecedented. Um, so, yeah, I do think it would be an interesting one. You make a good point about the Tuchel situation for Bayern, um, they kind of aggressively went in and covered that situation because there looked to be other potential destinations for him. So in just making sure they had like effectively just got him for the price that they needed him at the time. It's a little bit of a um it's a little bit of a worrying situation though in terms of the names. So not only Ole Zidane Alonso, you've kind of got the the not as fancied counter-attacking one there. You've got the big standout name in Zizou. And then you've got Xabi Alonso as kind of like the young up-and-comer. Like there seems to be absolutely no cohesion within those. If it was me, 
I would actually look back and say Nagelsmann. Do you fancy it again? Yeah, but if, I feel like they've sort of played their hand there because they're talking about Nagelsmann and Hansi Flick as well in the in the very far background. They're also talking about Conte and Jose Mourinho. So there's no sort of definitive style of play that they're looking at in regards to the players that they have available to them today. I mean, I would go as far in saying, you know, why don't you be going for someone like Inzaghi? You know, he would be a very good appointment um, yeah. for Bayern Munich in terms of style of play, players that they already have available to them today and stuff like that. But yeah, you're right. There's no cohesion in regards to the type of manager that they're looking for. It's just about, you know, the name that they want to bring in, which would make me think very candidly, Alonso is their man and everybody else is just an afterthought or another potential. It's just, it's worrying times for Liverpool right now. But even with the Alonso one, um, just because obviously, I think I think it's so hard to go from being the like the plucky upstart, the smart recruitment to the big don with all the money. Um, obviously, it does happen, but quite often you get more successful transitions. I'm thinking Guardiola. I'm thinking Zizou of people who don't necessarily have to do the. Um, competition if you look at Klopp I think he's a perfect example after winning two Bundesligas with Dortmund Bayern would have definitely had him on their manager hit list and he went no how can I create a similar thing to what I've done here but on a bigger scale obviously with the Premier League money and the fan base of Liverpool so yeah I do wonder I wonder if maybe Bayern might do something to take them over for a year or so um like, I think you've got Lucien Favre out of work, for instance, at the minute. They might just look at something that's a safe pair of hands because if you do get this, that's if they can't get Alonso. But if you do get the destabilization of a couple of players and the manager out of Leverkusen next year, obviously you're back on to being overwhelming favourite for the league. So you don't need quality, quality. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they, they are thinking and they might do. Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking short-term options, that's probably why the likes of Jose and, and Conte are being mentioned in those types of conversations. Both have worked with some of those players already, and um, I don't believe any of them are particularly bad relationships that they have there as well. I mean, some of Harry Kane's best football he's ever played was under Jose Mourinho. Um, if you look at, you know, why Alonso upcoming, but he's very much got the best of the players that he has had there, and he's recruited very smartly as well. And... If you look at Bayern Munich, yes, they're seen as the big club with the big pot of money available to them, but financial fair play is coming into, you know, they are signing, having to sign the likes of an Eric Dyer. They are having to sign the likes of, you know, other players on a free transfer. They were looking at Hoiberg for centre midfielders. You know, their their hands are a little bit tied when it comes to financial fair play. So if you can get Alonso in the door, who can undoubtedly bring the best out of a squad of players that are already there and implement his style of play, in a in a country that he knows very well as a former player it sort of ticks most boxes that they're looking for it's just if they can't get him do they look at a short-term option do they look at you know world-class and um proven like gareth southgate for example um or that's a that's obviously a joke um it just makes you laugh every time you say it and it just <laughs> makes just me smile but like every time you do it yeah. If you're going to try and go for a bite, you can't smirk your face off whilst you're saying it. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's, yeah, it's whether they go for Jose and Conte for a year and then try to get in a Jurgen Klopp, who is looking for that rest period. Multiple options. 
Um, I just really hope it's not Xavi Alonso, but he ticks every single box. Yeah, nice. Okay, so focus back on the Premier League, um, and maybe it's actually one we'll cover properly in another pod, but just with the form of Hoyland, with Richarlison, um, Mopes being on the score sheet in recent weeks, like who are some players who are kind of quietly having great seasons that maybe if you hadn't tuned into football for the last few months, you'd still think were absolutely rubbish? Um, I mean, you've mentioned a few of them, Hoyland, Richardson, um, Mikalenko, I know you have in the notes as well, who's been exceptional, uh, really, for, for Everton this season. He's been top, top class. There's there's probably a good amount of players, you know, pick any Wolves player that you want to pick. You know, Mario Lamina, for example, has been top class for them. Um, even Chelsea. Yeah, no, he's been awesome. Yeah, if you think Chelsea Definitely are underperforming massively, you know everyone's talking about how Saicedo and Caicedo and um, Enzo Fernandez are not living up to their price tag, but their best centre midfielder has been the hardworking Conor Gallagher, who I think has been exceptional this season and has gone under the radar massively, and will raise eyebrows if he's included in the England Euro squad. But for me, he should be included. Um, so it's players like that that aren't getting enough credit for the job that they're doing. I think. I think one that's going under the radar as well is, is potentially uh, Dallow at United as well. I actually think he's had yeah. a very quietly good season and sort of looked much more solid than he has done in recent years. And Nathan Aki is another one. For me, I think a really, really top-class player at Man City. They signed Gavardi all in the summer thinking he was going to be the man to come in and play that inverted left-back role. Um, whenever he did, he was okay. Nowhere near the price tag that they paid for him. Um, but also Aki has outperformed and outshone him every single time he's played, but goes under the radar because everyone talks about John Stones, Ruben Diaz, Kyle Walker. No one mentions Nathan Aki on a, on a regular basis. I think he was exceptional last season, and I think he's continued that form into this season as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a few more. Um, almost any Brighton player, like the fact that they're seventh this year um, is quite remarkable. Obviously, they do have some stinkers mixed in with some belters performance-wise. But, like, João Padro does have 19 goals this year. Like, that is outrageously good form. Um, and I don't think he's necessarily spoke of as a top four striker. Um, but even Buonanate and Adingra, who we pointed out in our players to watch um, pod, Certainly, uh, they've hit some decent form this year. Um, yeah, I think I think you are right. It's maybe easier if you go by clubs. Um, Bournemouth have a few as well. Um, their left-back, I would butcher the pronunciation of his name. Kier Kies, maybe? Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's looks pretty solid when I watch him. Um, so yeah, I think there's a few up and down the Premier League who don't necessarily get their shine, which is... Is strange. In the world of Fantasy Premier League, it seems like anyone can be a name at any time. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's definitely still some uh, some undervalued people there. Yeah, I'm going to throw out very quickly four names, three names from one club that I'll start uh, second. But for me, one player that I've seen multiple times and I've always been really impressed with him is uh, Marillo at Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I think he's been an exceptional signing for them and has really rejuvenated that defence since um, Nuno's come in. So I've have been really put, impressed with him. Have you put Dominguez on there as well? Because he's also a fantastic shout. He's been class. But no, it's, the other club that I want to mention is Fulham. I, a club that I thought would really, really, really struggle this year. 
but three players for me that have stood out every time I've watched them thinking you're way better than I thought you were you were or were ever going to be. Go First one would be, would be Harrison Reed in centre yeah. midfield. Very, very unfashionable midfielder, I would put it. And um, I think he goes about his business really, really well. Sort of like an Oliver Skip type player that it, you know, probably confused as to why you see his name on the team sheet alongside some of these really big name players but he's been exceptional I went to see Liverpool against Fulham earlier in the season this is why I've sort of touched upon three of their players but one player that we both of us sort of very very immediately um, wrote off towards the start of the season was Ryan Jimenez I think he gave Virgil van Dijk one of the toughest games I've seen Virgil have as a Liverpool player and he struggled against him in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup as well he was a handful. He was very, very mobile. Um, made really, really smart runs. Brought the wide players into the game very well, which is why we're seeing the likes of Willian um, play really well for Fulham and Harry Wilson when he's in the team as well. But the last one that I'll mention is one that I think will get a big name move over the next few years, and that's um, Robinson at left-back. Top, yeah. top, top left-back. I would rank him very highly if we had to rank left-backs in the Premier League today. And um, I think his rise... This season, particularly, has went under the radar a little bit. Um, but I, I would happily look at him as a long-term left-back for Liverpool. Yeah, he's like when you pop a few too many Viagra, an unstoppable rise. <laughs> I know it was your birthday, but I didn't think you were that old. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. Um, okay, nice. Is there anything else um, you want to discuss here? I also have in my notes... Maybe talk a little bit about the Champions League because I thought there were some interesting results in the week. There, is, I mean, the most interesting bit is the fact that there's a Champions League game on and every single time I've seen their Champions League game on, I've like, actually didn't know that was on tonight because it's a yeah. bit dead. Why are there Premier League games at the same time as Champions League games? I swear that never used to happen. No, ever. But, but those games aren't on TV, so I don't know how you're watching them, Rob. Um... But at the same time, it's yeah, there's just no there's no <laughs> there's no cover there's no like coverage there's no excitement for it. So I was always so adverse to the changes in the Champions League until this year because I think it it needs something because it's just I'm not excited for it and I know other fans that are actually fans of the teams who are in the tournament aren't that excited for it at the minute either. Yeah, I think there's there's a few things I think. Actually, some of the things that they've brought in, I do think take away from it. We've mentioned before, but we always liked the away goals rule. It just gave you something different to watch. Football is ultimately a narrative perspective and having something different in one of the biggest tournaments going just is funner. And um, you can say what you like about the numbers of how much more attacking football did it bring. I just feel it gave more tension. Um, Counting for two going into the last leg, like just... Yeah, it, it feels like there's more jeopardy and ultimately football's a game of jeopardy that's getting let down by world governing bodies who are trying to bring in less and less jeopardy um, so the big teams get kind of more protection. So that's part of it. Um, we've mentioned before, obviously, there's potentially a bit of a quality drop-off. Um, I don't think that's untrue. I do think there are a couple of teams, annoyingly, they're playing each other. Um, but Inter Milan and Atletico Madrid I do think are actually both capable of winning it this year, um, particularly if they get the odd favourable tie. So, um, yeah, I do think there's 
maybe just a lack of excitement because most people predict the winner to come from Bayern City or Real Madrid. Um, but I think at this moment in time, at least you can discount Bayern from that list who look awful of late. Um, and then, yeah, just the the scheduling is a huge, huge problem. Um, one of the things that kind of got thrown out with the Super League because there was so much outrage about it, but they were offering to put all of the games on free to view TV and the Champions League has not and will not be the same unless it's back on a commercial broadcaster because like I'm not being funny I saw the sign up fee for TNT Sports like 30 quid I'm not paying it if I'm getting two matches I'll watch a month Um, that doesn't that doesn't reflect value for me at this moment in time and therefore yeah they need to do something either about the price or the availability of the fixtures yeah, my notes I have is bring back the away goal, put it back on ITV. So you've sort of covered both of them perfectly. Um, the only other one I would look at it would be sort of mirroring the Amazon Prime type scheduling of it. The, the six o'clock kickoffs or the early kickoffs don't really, no one really watches them. So yeah. if you did a half seven kickoff and a quarter past eight kickoff, way more effective. Put it on ITV, have one game on ITV, have another game on ITV two, ITV three, ITV four do it that way 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 better um you'd get the numbers way up and you'd get those again you Champions League nights are so special and so many kids are missing out on it because they can't go to the pub to watch it and their parents might not be able to pay 30 quid 35 quid for bt sport so um give the game back to the fans Champions League nights especially and put it on itv again yeah i think the other change we've glossed over but certainly not as a podcast i think we've talked about it a lot is just the VAR aspect of it as well. The one I fundamentally hate in the Champions League is the handball rule, and VAR makes it look worse every time you get it. So to have these huge games, huge pieces of entertainment, like consistently feel like they're being spoilt because Real Madrid, well, not Real Madrid, it wouldn't go against them, but let's say trying to think of a team still in it psv eindhoven don't have a thalidomide at center back so get caught out through a 93rd minute um var intervention yeah again just detracts from some of the entertainment i also do think the the thing of making the games longer to account for less stoppages probably doesn't help given that all champions league games are midweek if i was a traveling fan hmm. like do i want to be getting home at 1am on a wednesday no yeah, very solid points. I think the, the combination of VAR and the lack of away goals absolutely puts the advantage, gives the advantage to the bigger team. We're seeing probably less giant killings than we ever saw in the past or, you know, the likes of a Liverpool in 2005, even getting to the final and winning it, you know, Porto and uh, Monaco the year before that, you know, VAR and away goals will limit the amount of drama that we'll see and doesn't matter who we are what we are everyone loves a bit of drama especially in football and um i think the essence of the champions league football nights have just been taken away a little bit in recent years and there needs to be some form of alleviation for those types of issues and um there needs to be changes i think definitely yeah And there's also the fact that it doesn't count unless Spurs are in it. So uh, that's definitely a huge attractor. It's all about Thursday nights, really. I've heard it's all about the Premier League. (laughs) (laughs) Good old Premier League. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, okay. Fourth place trophies, a big one for you this year. Exactly. Um, no, I have actually also heard that point. I'll credit the Athletic because I heard them mention it as well. Is that um, obviously you've got a red hot Liverpool team this year and a red hot Leverkusen team this year, and both aren't in the Champions League. So sometimes you do get those odd occurrences where some of the best teams um, in these tournaments aren't actually playing like it. Um, mm. Combined with that, you have Napoli down in ninth, for instance. Um, so yeah, sometimes you do get kind of an irregularity in uh, two-season performance from teams. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that is the overriding factor here. ITV, come on, step up. Yeah, exactly. We pay enough for TV rights. You know, pay the bill, get the rights back. It's stop letting BT Sport bid billions to get the rights for it because we don't want to listen to. Jake Humphreys or whoever it might be doing the coverage anymore. Give it back to ITV and, and move forward from there. Robert, anything else you want to add? I think that's been a very, very good, very, um, yeah, very whole wrap up of uh, football in the last week or two. Um, one podcast I do definitely want to do um, coming up is some of the best stories off the pitch um, in football because just reading through some of those, I uh, I won't spoil this one in its entirety, but I saw a TikTok the other day of Yaya Torre in the Soccer Aid WhatsApp group chat. And I was like, do you know what? <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about that. And that's exactly the type of story that our listeners need to hear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a few um, a few crackers about Graham Stack that I heard on um, the Peter Christ podcast recently as well. So yeah, we'll definitely get into those stories in one of the upcoming podcasts. And um, yeah, very much look to look forward to hopefully discussing Liverpool's Carabao Cup win this weekend as well. Well, it's a good job I'm um, away for the weekend, um, but we will catch you next week for some more Over the Top Football. Um, that's cheers from me. Cheers from me. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Bye.